for checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey everyone, welcome to Church Online. We're so glad you're with us this week as we continue our series, The Moral of the Story. We're talking about the parables of Jesus, the stories that he tells to teach us kingdom principles and kingdom truths. Before we jump into this week's parable, I had a random thought this week. I thought about these. You guys know what these are? Fig Newtons. That's if you buy the the name brand ones or the fig bars, the fig uh, cookies. They're something that I have not had in a very, very long time. So as a kid, my mom had uh, her mom's best friend. So my grandma's best friend was in a nursing home. And sometimes my mom would be like, hey, do you want to go? Let's go visit her. And, you know, I was just a few years old and I would say sure. And the reason I would say sure is because I knew that she would have these in her room. She loved them, they were her favorite thing, and if I came along, she would offer some to me. So I'd go and I'd eat my Fig Newton, and that was pretty much my only exposure to figs ever. I don't eat them, and they're not a normal thing. I know that sometimes restaurants have them in salads or things like that, and I've heard they're phenomenal, and I've been inspired to go try one. So I'm, it's on my to-do list for this summer is to eat a fig or have it in something. But I was thinking about that because of the parable that Jesus shares this week. And we're in Luke chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 6. It says this, Then he told this parable, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. One more year. I'll dig around it, and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So this parable is nice and short and sweet. There's somebody who has a vineyard. They are the owner and they say, hey, I have this fig tree. I've been coming to it for three years expecting fruit. Nothing. Nothing for three years. You know, let's cut it down. It's using up space. It's taking up soil that we could be using for something else that's going to be fruitful. And so here's one of the things that pops out right away is God desires fruitfulness. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants me to be fruitful. He desires for us to be fruitful people. We see that over and over and over and over and over throughout scripture. And the analogy means different things at different times. You know, in the beginning, Genesis 1, we see that he has trees and plants and everything sprout up. And he, he says that it will produce fruit according to their kind. Genesis 1, 11. And then he talks about um, Adam and Eve. He, he commands them to be fruitful and multiply. He says the same thing again to Noah later. And we see over and over God's desire for his people and the earth and things to be fruitful, that that's his intended purpose for them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he's actually talking to Israel, God's chosen people. And he's telling them, if you obey me, if you follow my commands, I will bless you. And in this blessing, he repeats the desire he has for them to be fruitful. He says this in verse 2, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I love that imagery. These blessings will actually overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle. The increase of your herds, the young flock, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be 
when you go out. I love that. That blessing will overtake you. That there's, it's actually outside of your control. It's, it's overpowering you. It's going to come and take over and you're going to be fruitful. Fruitful in your womb, in your field, in your livestock, in your life. And we see this over and over that that is something God offers to his people when they're in covenant relationship with him, when they're following his voice and his leading and obeying. And that's the Old Testament. I think this flushes out a little bit different in the New Testament. It makes me think of John 10.10, where Jesus says, you know, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes to take. But I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. God desires us to be fruitful. It's part of the intended design. And that's not to say everything works out perfectly. You're going to be rich. You're never going to get sick. You're never going to do other things. That is not the gospel. But there is the aspect that God desires things to be the way he intended them to be. He wants us to produce good fruit. And so that is the first thing I want us to set us aside. We're going to come back to that idea of God's desire for us to be fruitful. Now I want to step back and look at what is Jesus doing when he gives this teaching, when he, he decides to talk about fig trees, which is a re- reoccurring image throughout the scripture. And so right before Jesus says this parable in Luke 13, we know that the crowd has some things going on in their mind. It says this in the beginning of the chapter. There were some present that at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So this is current news. Something's just happening in the area and Jesus is out there with the crowd as normal, doing his thing, being awesome, being amazing, being Jesus. And the crowd on their collective mind is thinking about current events, breaking news, what's happening. Pilate's done this thing, you know, and they're probably curious about Jesus' take on it. Jesus, being who he is, responds and he, he talks about two current events. That one with Pilate and then the tower that fell down and and took the life of 18 people. And so the people are wondering, is this their fault? Like, did this thing happen to them because, you know, their sin was more? Or, you know, is, are we supposed to think this way about them? Or are the the ones who, who Pilate hurt, are they, should we view them as like heroes? Or they're struggling with current events and how to process them. And Jesus basically shifts from answering their question directly. He does answer it. He says, no. No one sinned greater or less, you know, in this instance. He's saying, but unless you repent, you will also perish. So he uses what's happening currently as a launching pad to remind them of what John the Baptist has been saying the whole time, is that we need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And repentance, you know, depending on your upbringing or depending on your familiarity with church, is either a word you've heard a lot or not very much. And maybe it comes with baggage or maybe it's a, it's a word that you love. But it's really just the idea of having a change of mind that leads to a change of life. You know, it's the word metanoia, which just means you've made a decision to think differently about something. It's conscious, it's willful. Um, and it's not just emotive. There's like a, a decision that goes with it. It's like this. I used to not like Brussels sprouts as a kid. I didn't really enjoy them. All of a sudden, I'm an adult. I try them after years of not trying them, and I'm like, these things are amazing. If you cook them properly, if they're seasoned, they're just delicious. That was repentance. I had changed the way I thought, and it led to a change of action. Because now we buy them, we order them, we like 
Brussels sprouts. I like Brussels sprouts. And so it's the same thing when it comes to the kingdom of God. Jesus, John the Baptist first, and then Jesus re- repeating that is saying, the kingdom of God is here. We need to change the way we think, and it needs to end up changing the way we live. So that's the context that Jesus then shares this parable. He repeats the two current events and then says, unless you repent, you're also going to perish. And then immediately afterwards shares about the fig tree. The fig tree went three years without bearing any fruit. And oftentimes we see that the fruit is a result of repentance. So Jesus is is combining these teachings masterfully, things from the Old Testament, things he's continuing to teach, things that he's already taught. And so a few chapters earlier in Luke, John the Baptist talks about the fruit in line with repentance. He talks about having fruit that is in keeping with repentance. This is in Luke chapter 3. I'm going to flip there really quick and read a little bit of it. So, In this moment, John the Baptist, the one who is baptizing people and things like that, is kind of having it out with the Pharisees, you know, the ones who are legalistic, who who all those things, you know, they're the bad guys a lot of times in the story. And so he's telling them, you brood of vipers, what's going on? He tells them this in verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he says this in verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. See how similar that imagery is? Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asks him this, what shall we do? What a good question. What, what's our response to that? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you're authorized to. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. And I love this because everybody was trying to make it personally applicable. They're trying to say, what does this mean to me? What does repentance look like to me as a doctor? What does repentance look like for me as a teacher? What does repentance look like for me as, you know, anybody, whatever your profession is. And so these guys are all asking, and John is giving specific examples that all boil down to this. What, what Jesus teaches is the great command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he takes that and contextualizes it. All right, if you're a tax collector, don't take from people more than you should. If, you, if you're just the average person in the crowd, Care for your neighbor. Give them a coat. If you have extra, share with them. He talks about love tangibly. And he says that that is fruit in line, in keeping with repentance. So now we have these two separate thoughts. We've been talking about how God desires for us to be fruitful and that repentance leads to fruit. And so sometimes we start thinking as Christians, we need to work harder. I need to produce more fruit in my life. I need to be more loving. I need to be more kind. I need to be more patient. I need to care about this thing more. I'm not as disciplined in this area as I would like to be. I'm still struggling with this, even though I've gotten better at that. And we start just trying and trying and trying. But the thing about fruit is that it grows naturally. It's a natural byproduct of a healthy plant with a healthy root system and healthy soil. 
And so repentance naturally leads to fruit. If we've truly changed the way we think, and that leads to the way that we change how we live, there's a, it's a byproduct, which is why we see over and over and over Paul saying, faith is how we're saved. Works is not. Like he says, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. He's like, it's not anything you do. You can't earn it. He's like, no one should have the right to, to boast about anything in the kingdom of God because it's all grace through faith. But James also explains faith without works is dead. And those almost seem to contradict each other. Like, what is the deal with that? But I think it's important to draw a line when they're talking about the works. Are they talking about that pre-Jesus, pre-repentance, or after, when someone starts following him? And here's the thing. We can do nothing to earn God's approval. There is no amount of fruit that we can manufacture in our life that will get us into heaven. It is all grace. Jesus paid the price for us to have relationship with God. You know, there's nothing you can add to it. And there's nothing we have to do to earn it afterwards either. But James' point is that after we've made the decision to follow God, if that really is a change in our thinking, it will naturally lead to a change in our living. That is what the difference is. It's not living to earn something. It's not doing something to earn God's grace or earn his love. It's receiving that, changing the way we think, and then we change the way we live as a result. It's a byproduct. It's fruit. Fruit is a byproduct of a healthy plant. And I hope that makes sense because what I want us to get here is that God desires for us to be fruitful. He desires to pour out his blessing. He desires for it to be the way he intended it to be. He desires us to have the fruit of his spirit of love and joy and peace and patience. He desires for us to look more like him. And he knows that's a byproduct of us following him. And so Jesus is specifically talking about Israel in this moment. He's talking about the people of God. And he's saying, you know, these current world events, they should make you think, you know, they should... Things going on around us should cause us to think about the bigger picture. What does this mean? What does this mean for me? And he says, unless you repent, you're also going to perish. Shares the parable of the fig tree. While sharing that, he talks about three years of unfruitfulness, which reminds me of what we talked about last week, that he's so patient. God is patient. And so different commentators disagree on what this three years actually means because Fig trees aren't usually fruitful for the first three years. So most commentators think this is six years total that this tree has not had any fruit come from it. Three years of expecting fruit, of the, of the vine dresser coming and saying, man, it sh there should be fruit and there's nothing. And so the person actually taking care of the field for the person says, give me one more year. Let's, let's wait a little bit. Let's try a couple things. And this is part of where we get to the application for what I want us to walk away with today. He says, let me dig around it a little bit and let me fertilize it. So the first thing, dig. We need to dig around it a little bit. There's something that happens when you're turning over the soil that allows for that thing to grow more healthily. You know, I'm not an expert gardener. I'm not any of these things. I have been studying it a lot more in this series of parables, but we need to work the soil. There's some amount of preparation and work that happens. Are we prepared to receive from God? 
you know, sometimes we just expect that it's, you know, when we say it's a byproduct, we expect it to be almost magical, that it just happens by itself. But there's a preparing of ourself, a turning that has to take place, that repentance, you know, costs us something. Repentance comes with a price. When we're called to follow Jesus, he says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. There's a turning of the soil. There's, a, there's some work that goes into it. And that's not a work that's earning. It's a decision-making. There's, there's digging that goes around. I, ask us, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Are we positioned to bear fruit? Are we actually in our mind turned towards God? Have we turned from the way we used to live and think and started living for him? Have we decided and said, you know, this was where I'm headed. This is no longer where I'm going. I used to not like Brussels sprouts and now I do. Is there an evidence of turning of the soil of actual real change? And the second thing is, he says, let's fertilize it. Let me fertilize it. And this comes with a few different translations. The NLT says, put manure on it. The NIV and the ESV both say fertilize it. And the, the old one, the King James Version, says dung it. Let's dig it and dung it. And so if that will, that's hopefully helpful for you remembering what we talked about today is dig it and dung it. If you want it to bear fruit, it should have some fertilization. And Mark Batterson, a pastor in Washington, D.C., says this. All of us know people who've been following Christ for 25 years but they don't have 25 years of experience following Christ. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times. There's maturity that should come in following Christ. This tree repeatedly was not producing fruit. It was still in that infant stage. And he was like, cut it down, get it out. It's using up good soil. And so he says, let me dig around it and let me fertilize it. It's so interesting to think about manure and fertilizer in the first place when, we, when the King James says dung it. So we're going to take a really quick break and talk about manure. The average horse produces 15 to 30 pounds of manure a day. That is a lot. And so don't say you didn't learn anything in church today. You just learned that horses produce a lot of manure. So there was 150,000 in horses, 150,000 horses in New York City 100 years ago. So if you do the math, that's 3 million pounds of manure a day. And in, in 1894 in London, they estimated that by 1950, if nothing changed, every street in London would be buried under 9 feet of horse manure. That's crazy. That's a lot. And it's not something we think about in our everyday, regular, suburban life where we have cars, most of us aren't farmers, anything like that. And so if we were just to, to step back, remove what we already know about fertilizer and things like that and manure, I wouldn't assume that putting that on a plant would make it grow, that it would be healthy for it. In fact, I'd probably assume that it's going to kill it. You know, that thing... It's, it's gross, it's stinky, it's, you know, it's waste. How is that going to help anything grow? It's probably going to kill the plant. But yet, the way God created things is that the waste actually creates and adds nutrients 
and fertilizes the ground so that it can grow even more healthily. There's a paradox here. And I think there's a spiritual principle here as well. You know, Romans 8.28, it says, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him and are living for him. For those of us who are Christians, he works it out. He doesn't waste anything. Like I said, that doesn't mean your life's perfect and nothing bad happens, but it does mean that he redeems those things, that he uses them for good. And I want to ask to ask the question, are we allowing God to use the wasted hard things in our life for good? Are we giving him room to fertilize that area? Are we giving him space to do that? Because we have to consciously give him room because otherwise we're going through the same things and never learning from them, never growing from them. We keep having different problems in our life, but we never learned patience through them. Or we keep having these things and we never grew in this area because of it. Are we allowing God to grow us through the hard things? That doesn't mean he's, he's um, causing them, but he'll use them if you let him. Will you grow through them? Are we, are we going to allow him to dig around us, to have soil prepared for fruit? which means are we willing to repent? Are we willing to turn and have a change of thinking? And are we willing to grow through the hard things, to let the messiness of life actually cause us to grow when we expect it to hurt us? That the experiences and things we'd walk to would actually be part of the strengthening and, and the forming that God is doing inside of us. Are we going to let him dig it and dung it? God desires for us to be fruitful. We're taught that we need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We need to change the way we think, and we need to allow him to use the things in our life to produce good fruit. I want to look more like Jesus. I want you to look more like Jesus. And that does not mean try harder. It means surrender, saying, God, use me. I'm going to change the way I think. I'm going to change the way I live. I'm going to have a turning I'm going to follow you when it makes sense, when it doesn't make sense. When people are cheering me on and when people are telling me I'm doing the wrong thing, that I shouldn't be following Jesus. When I'm made fun of and when it's easy. When it's um, the best thing in the world and when it's the hardest thing in the world. I'm choosing to follow you. I'm changing the way I think and going a new direction. God wants us to be fruitful. But he's the one who produces the fruit. He's the one who brings the fruit. What he's really asking us is to be faithful. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful in living out your marriage? Will you be faithful in the way you raise your kids? Will you be faithful in the workplace? Will you be faithful in your grandparenting? Will you be faithful in the way that you interact with the world around you, the way that you go to the grocery store? Will you be faithful in all of these different areas? Faithful, 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 faithful. As sick as you are of me already saying faithful, as, as quick as we get tired of being faithful. God, would you help us to be faithful? Because when we're faithful, 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 suddenly we become fruitful. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. When we are consistently doing the things God asks us to do, he produces in us the things he desires to produce. Our job is faithfulness. His job is fruitfulness. And that's encouraging 
because in this parable where we see that he's ready to cut down the tree because it's not producing fruit, we can quickly be worried about doing the right things. Am I, am I living up to what he's asking? But no, he's, all he's asking for is for us to turn towards him and walk towards him to say, I'm following Jesus no matter what the cost is. No matter what people say, no matter what people do, no matter all of those things, I'm following him. And when we're faithful, 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 he produces fruitfulness. I think that's so key, that when we're faithful minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, we begin to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, the blessing of God upon us, that we're becoming more like him than we used to be. Because here's the reality. In his sight right now, I am holy and justified and made right before him. Yet I have not fully realized that in my life. There are, I am not perfect. If you didn't know, now you know. I am not perfect. But the reality is, is I hope to be much more like Jesus in 10 years than I am now. And I hope that for all of us, for the whole church, for everybody watching. I would rather be surrounded in a group of people, the, the local church, who is faithful, even if it's small in number, than have a large crowd of people who just say, that sounds good and nothing changes. I want us to be true followers of Jesus. And that doesn't mean working harder. It's not any of those things. It's just saying, I'm turning, metanoia, repentance, and going a different direction. I'm following after him. And as I'm faithful, he'll make me fruitful. God, would you help us to be the people you're calling us to be? God, that we would produce good fruit, that you would come and you would be excited about the fruit that is happening in our life. You're patient. You care. God, would you help us to do our part, to have soil that's prepared for you, that we'd turn the way we're thinking and living, God, that we would, that we would just live under your authority and your leading. God, what would you do if we totally did that, if all of us did that as a community? I think it would be amazing. Would you produce that inside of us? In Jesus' name, amen. That's fun to dream about. That's fun to think about. What if all of us decided I'm all in? You know, certain areas, easy. God says this, I can do that. Other areas, why does he say that? Or why does it have to be that way? What if we decided we're going to stop that? We can still ask questions. Absolutely, wrestle with those things. But what if we said, I'm still going to follow you no matter what. No matter what other people say, no matter all of these things, I'm going to follow him. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. I've picked up my cross. I've denied myself, and I'm going after him. I'm going to be faithful, 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 and I believe that he'll make me fruitful. He'll make me more like him. For some of you, maybe you've never actually made that decision. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're just tuning in for the first time, or you've been following us for a few weeks. Maybe you've been around church for a long time. Maybe you know all the right things. You know the verses, you know the things, but you've never actually made that willful choice to follow the way of Jesus. I'd encourage you to make that today. Just say to him, God, I'm sorry that I've fallen short. I'm sorry that I haven't been fruitful because we can't be fruitful truly apart from him. We can manufacture things, but it's not the fruit that he's looking for. I'm sorry I haven't been fruitful. 
I believe that Jesus died for me so that I could be in relationship with you. I'm going to follow you from now on. If you just want to say that and pray that, he welcomes you with open arms into the family of God. And what if we all did that? What if we all had fruit in keeping with repentance? That we all said, I'm following Jesus. Our lives would begin to change. Our lives would begin to change. Slowly and surely, we'd see renewal and revival in our own hearts, in our own families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our cities. That's what I want. I want to see God's kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it starts with us. Thanks again for worshiping with us this morning. We hope that it encouraged you, that you feel motivated to follow after the call of God on your life. You know, everything we do is about helping people find hope and take their next step in following Jesus. That's the mission statement of Hope Culture Church, is that you would find hope and take your next step in following Jesus. And there's lots of ways to do that. We offer a growth track regularly during our normal times of gathering together in person, which we're excited to do soon. Um, So we'd encourage you to check out growth track at some point. And we do that through joining a small group, you know, being around other people. And we do it through giving and serving. If you'd love to join the dream team, the people who make church happen week in and week out, you can do that online. You can find it and hit join the dream team and uh, there's a little questionnaire you fill out about what areas you're interested in serving in and we'd love to have you join that team. We also believe in giving. God calls us to be sacrificial givers or joyful givers and we have the opportunity of partnering with what God is doing right here in our midst and you can do that by giving online at hopeculturechurch.com give or you can text any amount to the number on your screen. We so appreciate your generosity and your faithfulness in giving to what God is doing. It opens doors and reaches people that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. We're excited to continue worshiping together. We'll be back next week, same place, same time, 10 o'clock online, and we hope to see you there.